As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. I pray that this morning you would enlighten our hearts and minds afresh by the very power of your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our Epiphany preaching series based on the church's appointed readings for each Sunday. And our emphasis on living the baptized life has been our theme. We began this series, you may recall, remembering the words of God the Father to God the Son at Jesus' own baptism. You are my beloved. And over the last few weeks, we have been thinking about God's love for each of us and his call on our lives to repent, to believe, and to follow Jesus. And as we do so, to take seriously the forces of evil in our world. Today on this Sunday, which is also World Mission Sunday, we're focusing on the charge and the challenge that every follower of Jesus has to proclaim the gospel. In Mark's account of the good news of Jesus, the narrative this morning continues with more examples of Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. In the midst of all this work, Jesus gets up early in the morning, goes out to a deserted place and prays. But as we read in verse 36 of the gospel passage, the disciples hunted him down. The people all wanted a piece of Jesus. They were searching for him. But Jesus' response to his disciples, however, was, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving. Let us go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came to do. Jesus was all about proclaiming the gospel by words and actions with signs and wonders. And he went throughout Galilee, the scriptures tell us, proclaiming the message in their synagogues, and casting out demons. Last week, if you were here, you'll remember Mother Tish spoke powerfully of the reality of evil in our world. If we're going to be effective proclaimers of the good news of Jesus, then we must acknowledge the real and dark bad news that is also present in the world. As Tish helpfully delineated for us, there is a difference between a psychological challenge, psychiatric illness, and demon possession. Let's not confuse these three conditions, as if somehow they're all just different names for the same thing. Now, of course, there may be all sorts of overlap, but if someone needs psychological help or medical treatment, let's help them find that and receive that. And if they need deliverance from evil, then let's help them find that also. But the good news of Jesus is that he is good news in all of those situations. God is concerned for all whom he has made. And the gospel that we proclaim is real, historic, relevant, and true. And the gospel is about justice and righteousness. It is about healing and forgiveness. Last summer, the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Detroit, Alan Veneron, wrote an extraordinary and very powerful pastoral letter entitled, Unleash the Gospel. 
Listen to the opening sentence of that letter. Jesus Christ makes all things new. He himself is at work to renew his church in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He is pouring out his Holy Spirit anew so that every member of the church may be formed and sent forth as a joyful missionary disciple so that the gospel may be unleashed in southeast Michigan. What a great vision. Oh, that the gospel would be unleashed in Pittsburgh. Oh, that every member of our church would be formed and sent forth as a joyful missionary disciple. In his letter, the archbishop underlines the missionary nature of the church and recognizes that Catholics are not the only ones who are seeking to spread the gospel of Jesus. And he honors and supports those of other Christian denominations who are seeking faithfully to do the same. But he has an interesting comment as he talks about the way in which the Western world has been gradually abandoning its Christian foundations. And he identified the roots of this crisis as being the pervasiveness of three particular false religions. Namely, one, scientific fundamentalism, which is really the belief that every question about human existence and the world can be answered by experimental science. The universe is regarded as a completely closed system in which everything can be explained by the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, and evolution. The second false religion of our day is moralistic, therapeutic deism. That's a bit of a mouthful, I know. So it's a belief that is amoralistic, emphasizing moral behavior of being nice and neighborly, respectful and responsible. Be therapeutic in the sense of the idea that God is basically on call to make us feel good and to help us. And see deistic in that it views God as having created the world, sure, but then kind of steps back and isn't, isn't involved. Well, that's a false religion. And the third one that he speaks of is secular messianism, which I'd never heard of before, but there you go. Um, but it's, it's a kind of politicized version of Christianity that makes the gospel subservient to a human agenda. And it can come in liberal or conservative varieties. But in each case, it reduces Christianity to a program of social progress in the world, but which has totally lost sight of the eschatological vision of the gospel. Or let me put that in another way. It's lost sight of the fact that what we believe and do in this life has eternal consequences, because the world as we know it will one day come to an end, and Christ will return as Lord and judge before whom every knee will bow. The answer to our problems is not found in politics or being nice. It's found in Jesus Christ. There is so much lethargy and fear and, frankly, worldliness that marks much of the Christian church. We need for people to have a genuine encounter with Jesus so that they may come to real repentance and a proper understanding of the scriptures and a right understanding of grace and reconciliation. Anyway, I commend his letter to you. It's quite long, it's scholarly, it's practical, and it's very challenging. 
I've put a link to it on this week's community group questions, which you can find on our website. But this call of Archbishop Veneron to unleash the gospel is, of course, another way of, of, of putting what Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. And we see it in today's gospel reading, how Jesus demonstrates his own commitment to proclaiming the gospel in his ministry. It's also the theme in our epistle reading this morning, where St. Paul boldly declares to the church at Corinth, Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. Paul is passionate about the gospel. He sees it as his duty to proclaim. He's not in it for the money or the recognition. Five times in this short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about the gospel, concluding with, I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, I think one of the challenges that we face when we use this word gospel is that I suspect many of the people that you know and hang out with, some of your non-Christian friends, probably don't have a clue what that word means, or at least how you might be using it. You know, for many people, gospel, well, it's a type of music, isn't it? Gospel music. Or a gospel, is, isn't that what we call the first four books of the New Testament? Well, yes, it is. And even if people know that the word literally means good news, I wonder how many could tell you what the news is and why it's good. I wonder, can, can you? I think the gospel has, for many people, at least the word, morphed into a sort of vague notion of what Christianity is all about. And people tend to think that Christianity is a religion. It's, it's a system of, of morality and values. Most people don't think of the gospel as news, as being about something that has happened, that has an impact on the world or their life. The word gospel then has become, for many people, a vaguely Christ, Christian religious word. It's got something to do with spirituality a moral code to live by, something to do with Jesus. And sadly, what I think some people hear when we talk about God and the gospel is a mere shadow of what truly is good news. Indeed, what many people hear actually sounds like bad news. And it boils down to this. You know, there is a God, and, and, and this God is really angry with the world because we're all bad humans. And because he's God, he has a right and a duty to punish us. But this angry God decided that he'd punish someone else instead, an innocent third party, Jesus, which was bad for him but great for us. And all you've got to do is believe in Jesus and get saved. And then you get a ticket to heaven. No more lying in bed worrying about hell. Now, it's true, we, we do believe that Jesus died for our sins. But this is not the whole gospel story. It's part of a bigger story. A story about God the Creator, who loves all whom he's made. A God who's concerned about justice. It's a story about God who is, in his passionate love, sent Jesus to fulfill his long-promised rescue. A story of God who does not hate the world, 
does not inflict arbitrary punishment on an innocent third party. That's rubbish. It's about a God who loves the world so much that he himself enters the world and suffers and dies in our place. The good news of the gospel is firmly planted in reality. Bishop Tom Wright, in his book, Simply Good News, Why the Gospel is News and What Makes It Good, writes this. Jesus was not offering a teaching that could be compared with that of others, though his teaching as it stands is truly remarkable. He was not offering a moral example, though if we want such a thing, he remains outstanding. He was claiming to do things through which the world would be healed, transformed, rescued, and renewed. He was, in short, announcing good news for Israel and the whole world. The news about Jesus is this. He is the one who was promised from long ago. He is the Messiah, the Savior. And the news about Jesus is good because it's news of the living God, the good God, the only true God, overcoming the powers of the world so that there could be his rule, his righteousness, here on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, that was most powerfully demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this kingdom, with Jesus the good king in charge, runs on love and mercy, truth and justice. Now, of course, until Jesus comes again, we have to live with the tension of all still not yet being right with the world and with all the pain and the hurt and the evil that flows from that. But the news about Jesus is powerful, life-giving, hope-giving news. In Jesus, God's plans to put right all that is wrong have been initiated, have been put into place. This past week, many of us will have seen played out in the media the deeply shocking sentencing hearing in the case of Larry Nesser, a former Team USA gymnastics doctor and now convicted sex offender. Over many years, Nesser deliberately and systematically sexually assaulted and abused at least 265 young girls and young women. I don't suppose we'll ever know the true numbers. The victim impact statements are harrowing, and it's hard to begin to imagine the extent of the physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual carnage that this man and the system that allowed him to be behave as he did unchecked and so failed to protect those brought to him. It's hard to imagine what's been left in its wake. But this morning... I want to draw your attention to one of those victim impact statements because one person in particular, indeed the person who is largely responsible for bringing this into the light and bringing Nessor at least to justice is a very articulate Christian woman and her name is Rachel Hollander. And I found that what she had to say about justice and forgiveness, about evil and truth, and about repentance and the gospel so very pertinent to us as we think about what the gospel really is 
and how we are called to proclaim it to others. My friend Phil Ashey, the president and CEO of the American Anglican Council, has written an excellent piece about this, and you can also read the interview in Christianity Today with Rachel uh, online. But her testimony reveals the very heart of what we believe as followers of Christ. And in a remarkable way, Rachel's testimony was good news in the midst of the most awful evil. She so clearly articulated the very gospel we have to proclaim. And she did this not in an abstract way, but a very concrete and personal way. Not in a Bible study or in a church, but in a courtroom where she faced the man who had so demeaned and harmed her and countless other women and girls. As Phil Ashley commented, Rachel's testimony is good news precisely because of the biblical truths about the reality of sin, the inevitability of objective moral standards and judgments, and the amazing grace that forgives and sets free uniquely and finally through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rachel Dollander offered no cheap grace to her abuser, though remarkably she did offer him her forgiveness. But not before she so clearly addressed the moral chaos that can so easily drive us into despair and away from God. This is just a little extract. It was a long piece, but this is what she said to the court, and given that it's on YouTube, to the world. She said, Throughout this process, I have clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how did I get this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? Then, addressing her abuser directly, she continued, Larry, I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means I can speak the truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation. And I can call it evil because I know what goodness is. And this is why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil, they, they can no longer define and enjoy what is truly good. And later, in her testimony, again addressing Nessor directly, Den Hollander said this, In our earlier hearings, you brought your Bible into this courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything 
to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray, she said, you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Truly remarkable testimony. And one day, there will be justice for everyone, which is why we all need the gospel, why we all need a savior. I am so grateful for the brave and powerful actions and testimony of Rachel Den Hollander. You see, the gospel isn't just a religious word that we talk about from pulpits. The gospel is about God's grace that meets us in our lives from the very depths to the very heights. And the good news of the gospel is that God has come to us in Jesus. He has overcome even the curse of death itself. And he is establishing his rule and his reign and he is making all things new. And this means that in the hospital room, in the classroom, in the workroom, even in the courtroom, there is good news. Jesus has come in history. He is with us now by the Holy Spirit, and he will come again. And so in the midst of all that is so broken, we can find justice and hope. There is healing, there is forgiveness, there is salvation. This is good news. This is the gospel that we have come to proclaim and that we are charged to proclaim as we go out from here today. Hear again the words of St. Paul. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law so I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to win others to Christ? Did you see how often Paul used that word win? five times. He wants to win the Jews. He wants to win those under the law. He wants to win those um, outside the law. He wants to win the weak. He wants to win everyone. And what about you? Who do you want to win for Christ? And after all those wins, Paul says this, I've become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. May we be people who are unashamed and bold 
to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in words and by our lives. And finally, in the words of Archbishop Veneron, let us unleash the gospel. Amen.